0: All right, I got the message. I'm on early, so here we go. Take your Bibles. Go with me to the book of John. John chapter 9. I have a friend who, last I heard, lived in Brownsville, Texas. But I knew him when he lived in Edinburgh, Texas. I was his pastor for a while. His name is Mark. And Mark was a unique guy. He was a small business owner. And uh, he also was blind and, as far as I know, had been blind from birth. And so Mark uh, had learned to compensate for his blindness. He walked with a cane, one of those that you know sweeps in front of him, and so uh, he was able to go and do things that uh, I was, frankly, really shocked that he could do. He was very independent, lived by himself for a long time. Uh, he came to our church and uh, he got married and... Uh, So in my ongoing developing friendship with him, I decided to go see him at work one day. We were going to have a meeting, and he said, well, just come by my my place of business. And uh, I, I told you before, he was a small business owner, but one of the unique things about him was he owned and operated the grill at the county courthouse, And especially noteworthy of that was Mark, totally blind, ran the cash register. Now, he had people who worked for him, but he ran the cash register at the county courthouse. So his clients were law enforcement people, attorneys, judges, uh, jurors who were there or panels of jurors who were there. And uh, Mark stood, and I watched him from a distance as he stood at that cash register, and people came up, paid with cash, and he was able to determine just by feel what the denomination was that was given to him. You want to try that? Pull a $20 bill out. No, wait a minute. Let's, let's preach. Starts talking about money, people get all upset. Try it at home, okay, so you don't think I'm trying to get into your wallet. But go home and take a $5 bill and a $1 bill and a $20 bill uh, and see if you can tell the difference just by the way they feel. And I watched him for... I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes as he made change one person after another and never missed a beat. How do you run your own business when you can't see the money and yet you're the one running the cash register? It's an amazing compensation that he had developed. Now, we get that with coins because, you know, a quarter is smaller. I mean, yeah, smaller than some other denominations and it's bigger than a penny. And we get that. But he was an amazing guy. He was blind, but he learned to compensate for his blindness. I would like to lump you in with him, maybe not in such a friendly, uh, nice way, because the reality is all of us have certain areas of our lives where we are blind. We don't see things that some other people say. We call those blind spots. That's why, guys, your wife says, no, I don't really think you should say that, because they see things about us that we don't always get on those kind of a things, Sometimes we get blindsided, and that is we don't see it coming, and then when it does come, it fairly well bowls us over. We have blind spots. All of us do. And like Mark, we learn to compensate for those blind spots. When it comes to Jesus, my encouragement to you today is don't be too blind to see, Now, we're going to be in a passage here in John chapter 9, and we're going to kind of work our way through this a little bit at a time. We probably won't have time to read all of the verses that are here. But one of the things that we're beginning to see bubble up in John's presentation of the life of Jesus and in these signs or these miracles that Jesus performs is we begin now to see this developing thread throughout John's gospel uh, of the contrast between darkness and light, between blinded and seeing. So as we go into this, my encouragement to you is don't be too blind to see in your spiritual life. Well, let's look at this. We'll read a little bit and see where it goes from there. So first we we get the sign itself, the miracle that Jesus uh, performs. It is extraordinary stuff as all the other ones have been. This is the sixth now out of seven that we will study. So we read in verse 1 of uh, John's Gospel, chapter 9, as he passed by, He saw a man man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen, uh, had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man Who used to sit and beg. And I want to stop reading there for a moment because there's several comments I think that we should make and some some observations that we should uh, embrace here. First of all, the thing that tends to jump off of the page to me as we start into this is this prevailing attitude that now falls out of the mouth of the disciples. They're really mimicking some of the discussions of their day that happen to be some of the discussions of our day because we easily buy into some of the mindset that's revealed in this question that they ask to Jesus. This guy's blind. Whose fault is it? Is it his own fault or is it his parents' fault? And implied in that is this basic presupposition that says somebody's at fault here. I think we need to kind of catch that for what it is. And that is this, essentially, an accusation against God. It reveals something to us about their perception of God. Because if the question is when, let me put it in our terms a little more, uh, uh, a little more homey for us. If the perception is that when something bad happens to me, that God must be punishing me, that is a reflection on the character of God. We have a lot of people who believe that as they go through their lives when bad things happen, somehow they're at fault. It's that whole idea of consequences pushed beyond a good theological conclusion. Now, I'm going to be the first one to tell you that consequences is a very real, a very real situation. It may not be in some of the families that you school teachers have to teach their children, but consequences is a big deal in life. As one guy said to me one time, he was an alcoholic. He came from a family of alcoholics. His kids had drug abuse problems. And he said this to me You know, Mark, God will forgive you of your sin, but sometimes your body won't. Smart statement. And so we we come into this day and age in which we have this, this prevailing mindset that God only is responsible for the good stuff in life. And if it's bad stuff, then obviously that's the devil's doing. Or, God is punishing somebody. Whose sin is responsible, his own or that of his parents? I I guess let's put it down on the bottom shelf for us. Spiritual blindness often is the result of stinking thinking. It's when we push off onto God some of the characteristics that are probably true of us, or of those people who are around us, and we try to reform God in our own image rather than us being formed in his. And so because we believe, then obviously God must believe the same way. It seems like it's a minor thing here, that question. It almost seems, if we're not careful, we we uh, push it down into where it's nothing other than something that gets us into the discussion. But for John, and more importantly for Jesus, There is is this insidious little accusation in that that because he's blind, God's not happy with him. So let's take it another step because Jesus steps into that level of thinking and he pushes it aside as invalid because Jesus' response is it's not his sin or his parents' sin. It's actually so that, and we find this, in uh, verse 3, his blindness is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here's a good truth for you because let me, let me just stop for a second and let me call the times in which we are living as a church what they are. There's a lot of garbage. Uh, we call it garbage. A lot of stuff going on out there that we deem to be catastrophic. We have family members with grave health situations, some of us. One of the uh, members of our church died suddenly yesterday. One of those things that, that we hear that and we see that and it causes us to step back and, and it throws our equilibrium off spiritually and otherwise. As I said last week, there is that disorientation that comes to us in life. And those crises and those catastrophes that come at us, often we get to those points and it causes us to shrink back in and to to pull in and, and to just kind of try to weather the storm in that. But let me tell you what Jesus is saying to this guy here. The catastrophe of this guy's blindness from birth is an occasion for God to receive glory. Okay, I know I need to explain that a little bit because even coming out of my own mouth, that might, Sound like it's a little bit cruel of God. You're saying, preacher, that this catastrophe that's happening to my family member, God is going to get glory out of that and that makes it okay? Well, I think we need to be careful uh, that we don't do the same thing that those Jewish disciples were talking about in the previous verse that we just got through talking about and that we don't somehow paint God into a character-fault corner with the way we respond to these things. Here's what I think Jesus is really saying to them. The reality is that this guy is born blind. He's been blind uh, all of his life. And that today gives the occasion for God to receive glory. Jesus is not assigning blame to this, but he steps into the need and he says, I have a solution. So we need to hear that for what it is as a church, especially as we mourn the, the passing, the moving on, of a staff member that we loved and we step into a new day around here and go, so how do we do this? It's catastrophic, whatever your catastrophe happens to be. So hear the words of Jesus to his disciples. God can receive glory out of anything that I call a catastrophe. God is never limited by what I consider to be a crisis. If he's ever God, then he's always God even in those hard times. And so then Jesus does one of the weirdest things that I think he could have done. Let me, this is a great story to put yourself into the crowd. Now, I, I try to push that to you a lot when we're doing Bible study that's tied to narrative, the story line of Scripture. And uh, this is a great time to put yourself into the situation and, and get, a, get a feel for the For the moment. And so put yourself there as one of those disciples. Maybe let's put you there as the blind guy. And you're doing all you've ever known to do is... You're there, and you're hoping somebody will be generous to you so that you can have some way to get food to eat tomorrow because you can't work to earn a living in that society the way he was. So that's you, and you're in the crowd, and this guy comes up to you, and you hear this conversation as he's walking up. Obviously, he's got people around him, and he reaches down. He spits in the ground, and you hear that, and then you feel him putting something on your eyes. Tell me that's not throat punch moment right there. Don't try to spit on the ground and rub it in my eye because those are fighting words where I came from. Why did Jesus do that? You know, we've seen Jesus now. This is the sixth sign that we've seen here. And we see him doing a lot of different things. He's not limited by space. He's not limited by time. He's he's not limited by the, the particular kind of problem that he's stepping into. He comes and he always comes with resource. But he also, here's the point of the saliva thing. He also comes in a way that we can get. See, one of the problems with being spiritually blind is we get spiritually dense. And we don't always perceive the hand of God and the work of God in such a clear fashion as we do at other times. And and so in this case, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's tapping into first century sensibilities about medicine. Because in this time in which this happens, uh, it was believed by people far and wide that saliva had some medicinal qualities to it. Jesus could have blown on him and healed him. He could have waved his hands. These are not the droids that you want. But he chooses to step into the situation in a way that was meaningful to everybody gathered by there. Don't miss this. In your crisis and in your catastrophe, this same Jesus brings resource to you. And he will do so in a way that you can get. In other words, he's not interested in keeping you spiritually blind. He calls himself, and we will see this especially we get to the I am statements of Jesus in the next part of this series. At some point, he's going to stand up in a very visible and very a confrontational way and say I am the light of the world he doesn't want us to live in darkness but he also knows that people have a tendency to be too blind to see spiritual truth so maybe a question for us let's bring it home what does it take for us to get Jesus help How do we get him in on our situation? I think this is really the focal point of a lot of the prayers that we put out. I guarantee it's the focal point of a lot of mine. God, I could use some help here. Nobody knows I need help like God knows I need help. But why then is it that we go through times where it seems like he's not interested in helping? It's in those times when God seems slow to react to our panic that our faith begins to waver a bit, or it can anyway. So I don't know what's going on with you today. I know enough of what's going on in the life of our church to know that there's plenty of grounds for us to panic if we happen to be too blind to see. What does it take to get his help? And I just want to remind you, remember, read with both eyes. Jesus initiates this help. A lot of times, you know, we've seen places where somebody comes to him and says, Hey, you know, my daughter's sick. I need you to step into that. And so Jesus does. And the disciples are out on the ocean, or the, the Sea of Galilee, and, and it's a storm. And they're fairly well freaking out. And, and so he goes to where they are. But, you know, there are times, as I said a few weeks ago, that Jesus steps into the need, and he initiates the help. There's no asking by this blind guy. Jesus just sees it. He steps into it. Now, as I told you before, when we find that happening in the gospel, we find it happening on the Sabbath. So Jesus always intends to uh, bring the situation to a head with that. And we're going to see that this, oh, certainly comes to a head because of what happens here. So as we see what's going on here, let's make sure that we get to the bottom line truth about it, that we should never doubt Jesus' awareness of our situations. So whatever you're going through today, health issues, financial issues, relationship issues, just issues. And they threaten to blow you away or take you under. Don't forget that Jesus not only sees, but that he also brings resource. Which brings me to a fundamental truth that really is the heart of this whole sermon today. When Jesus steps into your crisis, the ground is fertile for evangelism to occur. And I know this sounds like a weird leap in this message. So if you'll stick with me for a few more minutes, I'll, I'll let you in on what I'm talking about here as we begin to read a little bit further. But before we go, let me, just, let me make sure that we're on the same page here. You don't have to agree with me, but at least let's try to understand together had a disturbing conversation this week. Uh, very disturbing. And, and essentially, the conversation revolved around an expectation that grows out of traditional minded thinking in local churches. And this individual was concerned about the church in which uh, they were a member. And the fact that in his own opinion, which was actually turned out to be an ill-informed opinion, or uninformed maybe, uh, but the accusation was that because that church wasn't baptizing, like we did this morning and we'll do again in a little bit, that church wasn't baptizing, or at least he didn't think they were. And so his conclusion was that it's because the staff, and particularly the preacher of that church, was out of line. So let me do what we did with the disciples here. Get behind that level of thinking. Because, by the way, that is one of those common levels of thinking that went that the Baptist churches of our time went through this long period where it was come in here, evangelism. In other words, I'll get all my friends, we'll bring them to church, and our preacher, who is our spiritual sniper, he'll kill them for Jesus. You know what? And here's what I told that guy. I said, your thinking about that kind of evangelism is not New Testament thinking. The prevailing method of evangelism in the New Testament is not people gathering together, hearing a preacher, deliver a sermon, and then people walk in the aisles. I'm not saying that's not, a, not an okay thing to happen, because it should. But the reality is that the, 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 the primary point of evangelism and method of evangelism in the new testament is god's people who were once blind but now they see taking that fellowship with jesus christ out into the world with them and sharing what jesus has done for them on a day-to-day basis okay that's where you should have said amen but that's okay You work your way through the book of Acts and you find that that is the predominant method that was used. Of course there are those times when a preacher stands up and preaches. Peter did that the day of Pentecost. But you go beyond that and you see people as they just were once blind. Now they see and they go out with the, with the blessings that God has done for them. As he stepped into their crisis or their catastrophe, they step out into a lost world and they give testimony to what Jesus has done. That's the New Testament model. If you're having trouble with that, let's look at verses 8 through 12 because he's one of the examples that helps me to say that's the method. Verse 8. Oh, by the way, why did Jesus say he was blind or what was going to happen because of that? But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Keep that in mind. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, nah, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the guy. Okay, put yourself in the crowd, all right? There is some funny stuff in Scripture every once in a while, and this is one of those moments. Can you just see what's going on there? This guy has been healed. He comes back. He can see and everybody around him is going, is that the guy? No, nah, that can't be the guy because the guy we know is blind. And he says, I'm the guy. And they're going, well, he looks kind of like him, but I'm not sure. I'm the guy. And they're going, I don't know. I don't think it's him. I'm the guy. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. That's just me. Verse 10. So they said, then how were your eyes opened? Hear me very carefully. When Jesus starts moving you from blindness to sight, people notice. And they will ask you what's going on in your life. Only a God who loves people would design a system like that. He makes people hungry to hear the word. So we keep reading verse 11. And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. Now, stop for a second. What was his answer to them? Let's boil it down to this. His answer to them was, This is what happened. You don't have to have 15 points of an evangelistic encounter in your pocket. You just have to tell people what Jesus is doing in your life. That's all he did, this is what happened. (laughs) and they said to him, verse 12, and they said to him, where is he? And kind of the idea here is, well, maybe he'll do something for me. Hey, you know what? It's exactly the right response. If Jesus is real in your life, and you've moved from being blind to being seeing, people want that. So where is he? And he said, I don't know. How would I know? I had to go down there, and I, I left, and I came back. I don't know where he is. And now we come to a little more troubling part of it. And so let me just, before I get to the troubling part of it, I know I need to stop here pretty quick, but um, let's make sure that we own this last little piece of what we've read. If the reality is, and it is, okay, so this is the reality, that we all have crises and catastrophes in our life that cause us to need Jesus to step into our blindness, We need him. He knows that. He sees that. And he steps in with incredible resource, extraordinary resource for us. And it changes us. And our responsibility then is just to live that out and to share it with other people. But what happens with so many Christian people, and if we're not careful, we buy into systems rather than relationship and fellowship with him. Because what tends to happen is we start hearing these voices out there saying, God wants to bless you. And we hear that God wants to bless you totally as a consumer. Well, of course he wants to bless me. Look how awesome I am. See, the, the message gets played out to us in ways that sounds really, really enticing. He wants you to have no financial concerns. Awesome. He wants you to be totally healthy and never sick. Okay. But if we're not careful, we so individualize that that we leave it at the point of being a consumer uh, let's set this. You've seen the TV show called Hoarders? There's a D in there, just so you know. Hoarders. I, I used to know a lady in another town I lived in, and she had this, I don't, I don't know if it's a genuine psychological disorder or what, I don't know, but she, she was, it was a problem for her. I think that everything that she had ever touched in her life somehow got packed into her car. I mean, she would park it in the, in the parking lot at church and, and I would walk by and I would be afraid that rats would come. I mean, it was, you just can't imagine how unhealthy that was. So many Christian people benefit from God. He blesses them in the midst of their blindness and then they hoard it. It is all about the consumer part. God, I... I, I, I need your help. And so God helps, and you go, okay, man, I feel better now. So I'll just sit back, and I'll just go back to my blindness for a while. So don't be a spiritual hoarder. Say it a different way. Don't squander the work of Jesus in your life. Because we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're, we're no different than these disciples to whom Jesus would say, okay, I'm going home now for a while. You guys are in charge. So that consumer orientation causes us to kind of retract in. And we appreciate what Jesus does for us, but it doesn't really go much beyond our own consumptions. This guy is a model for us. Jesus tells him up front, this is so that the works of God might be shown in him. And so then he shows them and he starts verbalizing what Jesus has done in his life. Uh, so let me, let's let take another step here and look at some of the spiritual blindness that surfaces in all of this. I'm not going to have time to do justice to it, but we'll get what we can here in a few minutes. We begin reading again in verses 13 through 17. And here's the spiritual blindness cause in this little section. It's religion. Verse 13. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and wa- I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Here, the, insert holier-than-thou tone of voice here. This man can't be from God. He violated the Sabbath. But the others said, Now here's more funny stuff. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? In other words, they're not totally blind, some of them. Oh, by the way, do you see how the blindness shifts now? No longer is it blind from birth. Now it's blind from religion. And they could not see the work of God because it did not fit their construct of religion. Because we all know that God would never do anything to help anybody on the Sabbath. Or at least that seems to be their opinion. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. That's their sticking point. And therefore, the uh, summarization of it all is that he must not be from God. And in the midst of it, they miss the hand of God. There was division among them. Verse 17 So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received a sight until they called the parents of the man who had received a sight. And I'll pick up reading there in just a second, but let's make sure we get this part of it. So now they go, they go to the guy, they, they can't believe it. The, the religion says that can't be. So they get testimony from him and he says, he did it, I'm the guy. And now they have to change the argument. Their, their religion isn't holding up under the reality of the moment, and so they change the argue, argument just a little bit. So here's a good thing to remember. We have ways of setting up shop as churches and as Christians that show that we prefer blindness. Blindness we we have our religious activities that we fall into and that we adopt and some of those just kind of like the way we go to work we do it and we don't have to think we don't want to have to think about it all the time and so it just kind of works out that way but but the reality is that those are shortcuts we try to set up these shortcuts for spiritual fellowship with Christ and there's not working now because they're, they're confronted with something that clearly is the hand of God. They don't really understand that, and it can't be because it doesn't fit their construct. And so now they begin to change the rules of the game a little bit, and they begin to wonder if, in fact, he had been blind at all before. So they call his parents in. I'm going to paraphrase some of the rest of it now as we close. As a matter of fact, musicians, will not you all come on up? We'll be finished here in just a moment. But uh, let's make sure we get this. They come at this, and we'll see before it's over with that they try to intimidate those parents. They call the parents in. It's funny. They call them in. They said, what's the deal here? And the, the parents are so intimidated, of the possibility of getting kicked out of the religious structures of the day that they hang their son out, for, out to dry. They throw him under the bus. Well, we know he was born. We know he's ours, and we know that he was blind. We know that he sees now. But as to why all that happens, you'll just have to ask him. Well, they already asked him. They just didn't like the answer that they got. So what do we do with that? Here's how I think it falls out at the end for us. When we're confronted with the reality of who Jesus is and he shows himself to be powerful and to be alive, we then are pushed to the point of a spiritual crisis will i believe him what about those times when he does things that doesn't fit what i had in mind what about the times that he does things that doesn't quite fit the way we have said we do it where's jesus then and can i trust that jesus like i think i do all the rest of the time One of the realities that we'll find from these Pharisees is that spiritual blindness loves company. They do a lot of work to try to get people to be blind with them. Religious people do. But Jesus says to that blind man, he will say to his disciples, he says to you today, I don't have to fit the mold because I am God himself. You believe that? How much do you believe that really? So the story's told. Years ago, you know the famous painting, the Mona Lisa? uh, The one with the weird face or smile on the lady. Uh, So this guy had heard about it all his life and so he went to where the Mona Lisa was being displayed at the museum there and he kind of camped out for a long time. So much so that a security guard who was there started watching him and uh, trying to see, you know, what was going on. Maybe he was a little bit Uh, shady or something but the guy would get real up close and he'd look and you know turn his head sideways and step back and hold his hand you know and he studied the picture near and far for a long time finally a security guard allegedly went up to him and said so uh what do you think and the guy made this comment you know i've heard about this painting all my life i've heard all kinds of stories about it you know i've heard how great it was and you know, a great work of art. He said, you know, I, I, I just had to come see it for myself. And after standing here looking at it for a long time, I've come to the conclusion that it's just not that great. I'm not really all that impressed with the Mona Lisa. The security guard very wisely responded this way. When you come into the presence of greatness, something that has stood the test of time, and people have acknowledged the greatness of that, in this case, piece of art, That piece of art is not on trial. You are. And so when we come to a story like this and these disciples are witnessing what happens and this guy who was blind from birth is all of a sudden healed and these Pharisees see that and they reject it. They're the spiritually blind ones. They're the ones who are too blind to see. And we find ourselves in exactly the same boat that they're in. When you come to pass judgment on this Jesus, who has stood the test of time and proven himself time and time again in the lives of people, he's not on trial. You are. What do you do with him? And when he does for you what he does, who are you going to tell? Let's pray. And so as we pray and we go into this time of invitation, I want to invite you to personalize the story and personalize the questions. Who is Jesus, really? Do you have evidence in your own life that would argue for you staying close to him? Or do we hold him at a distance? When it comes to your own personal Blessings, or God has blessed you. Are you using those to share with other people? Or do you just hoard those internally? How long has it been since you had a real experience with the living Jesus Christ? And Father, we ask you to take this invitation time and change lives. Whatever is the need in the lives of your people gathered here, we pray that you would have freedom to work in their lives, and that each of us would have the honesty and the courage to allow you to speak truth into our situation and that you would show us those places where we are blinded and where we are offered sight today. Change us. We pray that you would take this time and use it for your glory in Jesus' name.